Lord, it's so good to be reminded that we can call upon you in times of chaos and despair and pain and disease. That you're a God not only interested in our souls, you're interested in all of us, body, mind, and spirit. We pray that with new understanding, we'll grasp that truth this morning and then share it with those you bring across our path who need our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's fascinating in this sophisticated age where we conquer so many things, the illness is still very much a part of life in spite of the fact that we are so knowledgeable in what we eat and what we drink and the vitamins we take and the exercise we engage in. And in spite of those inroads in, that medicine is making into the treating of disease every day. From the prayer cards we received at our Mount Hermon conference last weekend, in fact, from the prayer cards we receive every week, we're reminded again and again what a gift health is and how many are being robbed of this gift by disease. And as I reminded you at the beginning of the worship hour, whatever problems you brought here today, if you're healthy enough to be here, that's one of life's greatest blessings that should make everything else dim by comparison. Health is a gift. But because illness and death are still undeniable realities, our whole society is still searching for sources, not only for wholeness of health, but also for, for the eternal fountain of youth. We're in an age that wants to defy aging, deny death. We almost uh, make an icon out of um, immortality here. Many are looking for healing beyond traditional medicine. Well, for many reasons. If you've been involved in an HMO, you know the changes that <clears throat> that kind of care is bringing. And we heard recent publicity again of the limitations of medical care, like the recent recall of the certain diet drugs that are having catastrophic effects on some. <clears throat> and then the growing voice from proponents of holistic medicine, raising questions about the effectiveness of many traditional methods of fighting disease. And then adding to this confusion, all of us have witnessed the growing number of, quote, divine healers and miracle cures. You go into any store, you see racks of various herbs that promise all kinds of healing, and then books that promise all kinds of healing. And the question that we raise today is, how do we as Christians relate the Bible's teaching about God's role in the healing process when we're confronted by this maze of alternative healing systems? How do we articulate what we believe? How do we relate it to what we believe? And here's another problem. Unfortunately, faith healing, and that might include many of you, faith healing for many believers is nothing more than a last resort. It's a Hail Mary pass we use when we're out of options. And you know, I think Jesus, I know Jesus Christ wants it to be more than that for this church. In our text this morning, we find that one evidence of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was very physical. And it was the evidence of power being invested in human beings to heal physical and emotional disease. But healing in the name of Jesus, and that's critical. Peter and John were on their way to the temple. They see this infirm beggar who had never been able to enter the temple because if you were infirmed, you couldn't go into God's house. And Peter said, look at us. And then the man's expectation must have faded very quickly when Peter added, you know, we don't have any silver and gold, but what I have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. I wonder how many of us really believe God intervenes in the healing process. If you're here with a real crisis today, 
Do you have any real expectation that when you pray and others pray for you, that God's going to hear and respond? Here he's created the universe. He calls all the stars by name, the billions of people. How can we pray and believe that God can be personally interested in us and in our personal physical need? That's mind-blowing. Well, with all that thought in mind, let's study our text. Because happily, this is not opinion. This is what the Bible tells us about physical healing. A first truth in this drama is that divine healing does happen. But it happens in the name of Jesus. Peter says to the beggar, in the name of Jesus, walk. But why in the name of Jesus? Why is that so central? It's because the name of Jesus represents supernatural power, divine authority. It's not in us. There are no divine healers. And the way to spot a fraud always are those who call attention to themselves rather than point to Jesus. The 40-year-old man in our story, he's been infirm since birth. He was crippled in body so he couldn't go and worship. And then suddenly at Peter's command, his ankles become strong. He jumped to his feet. He began walking, leaping, and praising God. Now you have to make a decision. Is this story a myth? As many Christians even believe. Or is it an untapped resource for healing today? I opt for the latter. The role of the Holy Spirit in the early church reveals God's deep concern for our physical and our emotional wholeness as well as our spiritual wholeness. Now, certain things to keep in mind as we proceed here. This story does not present Christian faith healing as a substitute for medicine and other types of therapy, as some set groups have thought for centuries that it does. It does not promise physical healing for everyone. There were many beggars in Jerusalem who weren't healed that day. What can we affirm is, what we can affirm is that the New Testament makes this absolutely clear to each of you. God intervenes in the healing of disease, but he does it his way and in his timing. In Good Housekeeping magazine last month, we heard another report. Maybe you've read many of these. It says, researchers are also investigating the role that religious belief itself plays in healing. In one study, heart surgery patients who said they depended on God for strength and comfort were three times more likely to survive than those who didn't. To David Larson, MD, an adjunct professor of psychiatry at Duke University Medical School in Durham, a devout believer, the conclusion seems clear. A lack of religious belief, he says, may be hazardous to your health. And that's from the secular world. I find that fascinating, but not surprising. Listen to an incident from the earthly ministry of Jesus that indicates our Lord's interest in something more than saving our souls. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Divine healing happens at the emotional level, at the physical level. And I say, thank God. I do want to venture a guess at this point, though. I believe that those most interested in the sermon thus far are those who are either currently involved in some kind of health crisis, have been and found that it's true, or have a loved one who's facing a health crisis. You know, as I mentioned uh, many times through the years, I choose my sermons way in advance. And this one was chosen, I guess, last April, maybe uh, March. And I'm always hesitant to choose them because what I've learned through the years is that God always has me live the sermon that I'm going to preach. <laughs> and this was no exception. 
I, I, I know all of you know, because I tell you every year when I go, I don't like to go to doctors. I love doctors, but I hate my physical. And I went for my physical, and everything was perfect this time, except one thing. And that one thing led me to my first experience of a biopsy. And I went, I, I, at that point, I wish I hadn't gone, because then I wouldn't need, I, need I, I knew I needed it, but anyway, we won't get into that. I had to, um, I had to go through a waiting period while I was waiting to hear the report. And you know, I'm not real good at that, I learned. Um, let, let's go back to physicals. I don't like to go to the doctor because I'm a coward and because I'm supposedly assured of eternal life and you know, I have all this faith and I sit there and I sweat and my blood pressure goes up and I look like an idiot. Um, and I wasn't much better. Uh, I get your prayer card saying, pray for us for a biopsy, pray that I'm facing this and I do pray. But believe me, I have a whole new compassion for any of us waiting for a biopsy. I turned to my friends. I had some people supporting me. And happily, last Wednesday, I heard the good news from the doctor in the morning. I'm fine. But you know, I'm grateful for that. But what I pray for is something more than that for all of us, because some of you don't get benign results to biopsies or other things you're going through. As we learned at Mount Hermon, one lady praying for us as she has to take a new kind of chemotherapy, and on and on it goes. What we learn here is that the healing Jesus gives, if it's ever physical healing, is temporary and it's wonderful, but the ultimate healing he gives is his presence. No matter what the outcome would have been of my biopsy, he would have been with me. And that's the ultimate healing that we have in this life. And then the ultimate, ultimate healing is that one day we're going to die regardless of how many times we get physically healed and we're going to go and be with him. And death, in a very real way for the Christian, is ultimate healing. Well, anyway, let's go back to the story. I don't think it even entered the beggar's mind that day, day that he was about to walk again because unlike myself and you who know there's a personal God who cares, he had an infirmity and he had settled for so much less than wholeness and he had no concept of turning to God and asking for anything more than silver and gold. That was the limit of his expectation. Nothing indicates in the story he had any hope of, in God at all. He was at the survival level. All he wanted to do was survive. I wonder if God brought some of you here today and your vision for wholeness is too small and he wants to let you know that. I wonder how many of us are just surviving in some emotional pit or some physical pit. Are we missing an intervention of God in an area of personal need because we don't believe in miracles? We're too sophisticated for that. We don't like to talk and sound foolish out in the world that we believe there's a personal God up there who intervenes when we're sick and we ask him for help. Are we missing it because we want Jesus to heal us according to our plan and our timing rather than his? And he won't do that. Or do we view Jesus as simply a vending machine to give healing on demand and thus we make him nothing more than kind of an icon of physical wholeness along with echinacea and exercise and all these long lists of books and drugs that promise wholeness in this life. Jesus is not simply one of many spiritual ways of being physically whole. He refuses to be in that position. Because God's involvement with us when disease strikes is our legacy as followers of Jesus, because the same power that raised him from the dead can be operative in your life and mine for physical Ill, uh, wholeness, the question becomes, how do we appropriate his power? How do we keep Jesus from simply being another icon in the midst of this culture that worships 
wholeness, how can we elevate him to being the Son of God and tap the power of Jesus and his name? The answer is the Holy Spirit. As we go into this study, I'm amazed at how many ramifications I'm being led to preach on that I never would have thought about when we're studying the Holy Spirit. And today, we learn it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to believe a personal God intervenes when we need Him and helps healing happen. The world would call that foolishness. We call this a legacy as believers of Jesus Christ. And what a legacy it is. But you know, it's not just for ourselves. A second truth in our story is that the Spirit empowers us as believers not only to find healing for ourselves, but to be part of God's healing process for others. And that's really exciting. See, at this point, we touch on our vision of our church family becoming a contagious community. Prayer is one of the deepest, most profound ways any of us, in fact, every one of us, can express Christ's love to somebody else. I described how much the prayers of my friends meant to me while I waited for the biopsy. Their prayers were not only for a benign report, but for strength to accept whatever answer came. And their presence with me and their presence beyond the report, whatever it would have been, was like the enfleshment of Jesus there helping us. When people were praying for me, I realized they were loving me in a very measurable way. Intercessory prayer. Prayer for others, what a gift. I wonder how often you do it. I wonder if that's a gift you're giving. Is that even enter our mind? How much time a week do we spend praying for others? Cindy Jacobs says in her book on prayer, the giants in God's kingdom will be a surprise. And I think many will be humble intercessors no one ever heard of. I believe that. If you don't feel you're very useful to Jesus, if there's not many things you can do as a Christian, do you realize you can pray for somebody and in doing that, that's one of the most profound works the Christian can do? I think that's a great insight. At the time of his healing, this lame man didn't know Jesus. And Peter didn't give him the gospel message first. It didn't make his healing contingent on him becoming Christian saying, hey guy, if you'll find Jesus and accept him as savior, then we'll heal you. No, it didn't happen that way. And I thought, this helps us as intercessors. We can pray for people in need that we rub shoulders with during the week, even if they haven't got the foggiest knowledge of who Jesus is, but we can pray for them. In fact, what I've learned, even the most skeptical, hardened person, when they're in real need, usually will respond in a positive way if we tell them, you know, it seems you have a God-sized problem, and I'm going to pray for you. And let's expect God to bring some surprises. That reaches people. But after saying that, it's important after we say, I'll pray for you, that we really do pray for people. I think one of the cheapest cliches in the church is we say, I'll pray for you, and that's it. And most of us know that they probably won't. That's just something we say like, hello. If you say you're going to pray for somebody, do it. And then we ought to pray believing that there's going to be a divine intervention in response to our prayers. Something's going to happen that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't prayed. And then this is important, one of the elders brought up, that we only pray with a person if after listening we realize prayer is appropriate. Sometimes it's better to pray for that person later when we're all alone. Let me give you an illustration. I was visiting a person at Stanford some time ago, Stanford Hospital, and the family told me this guy was kind of a hard nut, so I could tell when I walked in the room he wasn't excited to see a pastor. I don't know if that meant he thought he was dying and I was there to give the last rites. I, I, I don't know. But when I asked if I could pray for him, he said no. <laughs> that was a little bit shocking. Um, 
And I, I thought, here's the lesson. Sometimes it's important to just be present with a person and we don't have to feel compelled to do something religious. Being there is religious. Touching them, hugging them, just holding their hand might be the most appropriate vehicle for Christ's love as an initial way of telling them Jesus Christ loves you and cares about you. Well, bottom line, I'm yearning for the Holy Spirit to give our church family so much faith in God's power to heal that MPPC will develop the reputation of being the place to go in the community if someone has a need for prayer. They'll come here. That was what the early church in Acts did. One of the attractions to Jesus was that was a healing community and you didn't have to believe in Jesus to get their prayers. And then I pray that the power of Jesus will become a vital part of your healing system to which you turn when disease strikes. I want you to believe this really works. It really has worked for me this last week. And I want us to experience the awe and the wonder mentioned in the text as did the crowds of old when we witnessed God's miraculous interventions in response to our prayers. And we will, and many of you have. Healing happens, and when it does, it brings glory to Jesus Christ and joy to those of us who have been involved in praying with people. Well, now, before we go home, let me re review some of the guidelines that we're talking about in this text that I hope you'll think about this week. First, prayer is not a demand God must obey. Remember when Jesus healed the leper, the medical diagnosis of the time stated he was incurable. The leper's statement of faith is simple and holds the key for finding healing in the name of Jesus. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper's faith was a mixture of humility, acknowledging he had no right to ask Jesus for anything, coupled with a submission to God's higher purposes, as he says, if you will, if it's your plan, you can make me clean. You see, when we pray, we submit to God's higher will and wisdom regarding our wholeness, which may or may not include freedom from disease. I think of one death in our church family last year. When this person started with her disease, she wasn't a Christian. Through the months, many of you came by her side and loved her and led her and prayed for her. And before she passed on, because she was not physically healed, she found Jesus as her savior. And I need to tell you that that ultimately is the only healing that really matters. You know, in a culture that tends not to forget this, to mention this in the physical fitness magazines and the health magazines, we're all terminal. And the only healing that really matters we all have if we know Jesus as Savior. And that's the healing of knowing that when we're absent from this body, we're present with the Lord. And any sermon on healing, I want to highlight in capital letters, the ultimate healing is what we already have in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven and we're sure of eternal life. And when the chips are really down, folks, and for each of us, someday they will be, that's the best news in the world. And yet our worship of youth and eternal life on this earth goes on. The other night I was up at the Grand Nationals at the Cow Palace, and this, uh, they, they have this one event where the horses run around the barrels, and this lady comes out in a real flashy outfit. She rides like the wind, and she finishes third. And then the announcer says, by the way, that lady is a grandma, and she's 81 years old. <laughs> And the crowd just did what you did. Oh, here's an 81-year-old woman. It looks like she's eternally young. She looked good. She's going to die. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> and that's what we forget. 
And I think what we need to remember, folks, and why we're people of grace and we can celebrate is death isn't the ultimate victor anymore. Jesus has won the battle. Yes, he helps us in this life if you're going through a crisis, but the best help he'll ever give you is when you cross that river and find, as Christian did in Pilgrim's Progress, I'm in the middle of the river and I've touched bottom and it's sound. Another guideline, and this is the final one, because prayer for each other is part of God's healing process. It's important we know each other at more than a surface level. You know, I've been talking about small groups in this church for 20 years. It's in small groups that we share needs, we build a history, we get to know each other. And it's through the friends we make in small groups that when a crisis comes, there's someone there to intercede for us in prayer. I don't know what people do who have no one to turn to in crisis. I think that would be the most isolated, horrible feeling in the world, to have no one who could share faith in God with you and you go to God in prayer because you're frightened and you're in pain and you don't know where to turn. So I want to ask you, do you have anyone to turn to in prayer if a crisis should hit your life? And it's only a matter of time till it does. No one should be alone when illness strikes. I trust we're not too busy to cultivate the kind of friends who will pray for us when our time of need comes. That's why I hope everybody eventually in this church will be in a small group. You know, I'll probably say it till I die, but that's, this church is too big. And until you're in a small group, you're not really in the ultimate position to take advantage of our legacy as Christians of what Jesus would give you in a time of crisis. And then this little P.S. Our faith doesn't have to be perfect to be effective. I was a coward through my crisis, but God was still there. And I don't have a perfect faith when I pray for you, and you don't either. But God uses our imperfect faith to pray for ourselves and pray for others because that's the only kind we really have. And I challenge you this week to pray for that person's healing that maybe came to mind during this worship service. That's where to begin. Pray for them. It'll make a difference. And then pray for your own needs with a new expectation. Don't be like the beggars settling for silver and gold. If you're in a rut and you've given up any big view of what God might have for you, get a new vision. He wants you to be whole. And maybe it'll be a new kind of wholeness with your disease. I don't know. Whatever answer you receive in the eternal measure of things, I'll tell you, God's answer when you ask for healing will be an answer of love. And then I hope if you're one of those who haven't quite plugged in, that you'll put the fact that God heals in your hearts so that one day when a health crisis comes, you'll have it there and you'll know where to turn. You won't be abandoned. Healing happens. I pray God's going to bless us as we take new adventures in becoming a Book of Acts healing community. And I pray this community will, through our prayers, be impacted. This will be one of the healing systems people turn to among the many others that are available. That's good news. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, thank you that you're not only concerned about our souls, but you're concerned about our health today. And I pray for those people today who are frightened, right here, in pain, facing a health crisis. I pray, God, they'll feel your spirit touch them because they came. And I pray that you'll help the rest of us to have a, your concern for those people you'll bring across our path who have, don't know Jesus. They don't know what to do with their disease. And we can lead them to him. We pray this in his name. Amen.